People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. It is Fine Music Radio. I'm Mike Mills, standing in on People of Note for Rodney Trudgeon. This New Year's Eve, my guest is an old mate. Well, I shouldn't say old so much, because I'm even <laughs> older than he is. Jonathan Crossley. Now, you've just done something. You've got to tell the listeners how you just introduced me. Oh, well, well no, we thought it was, well, as FMI, as we said, uh, it's Mike Mills dropping some dope beats, yo. <laughs> <laughs> you are so hip and wicked. <laughs> no, no, it's all, it's all pretend. <laughs> I'm just... May I say welcome? It's great to see you um, in Cape Town, but you were here just for a very fleeting visit. Yeah, um, we were here um, for this World New Music Days Festival. It was organized by the International Society for Contemporary Music. Um, That society is in 50 different countries, and uh, this was the first time that the festival was ever held in South Africa, and it's the 100th anniversary, actually, of the festival. Wow. Yeah, and the artistic director, someone who I'm very fortunate to call a great friend, is the composer Lucas Ligeti. Um, Lucas is an amazing world famous composer um, but he's also got this great tie to South Africa we met through our shared PhD supervisor which was the composer Jeannie Zadar Rudolph and uh, Lucas is also interesting because he's a classical composer, but he's, a, he's also into this kind of punk jazz drummer thing. So we've jammed together in, in that role, doing free improvisation, and he has a great kind of punk jazz based band based in New York called Hypercolor. Um, so he kind of floats between genres, which is obviously appeals to me. And that's how you landed up in Cape Town, because this festival, as you say, 100 years old. Yes. But it had never been to Africa, I think. No, it had never. And, and it was amazing. I mean, like, they had, it ran for a week. Um, kind of, what was it, five or six days in Joburg um, and then two days here in, or three days in, here in Cape Town and uh, there were compositions in wide variety I, mean, I obviously presented two concerts of my own but I got to play on the British composer Susan Lullaby's work which was extremely beautiful um, it was, um, she's an Iranian, ex-Iranian composer and she was doing these microtonal things with the string orchestra and then we improvised over that I got to play on the Japanese um, composer's work, which was a classical guitar work, Mon Aiden Aidenhout on clarinet, and, and percussion. That was extremely beautiful. That was on Monday, the Monday of the festival at Regina Munde Church in Soweto. Ah, yes. Very cool. And, uh, and also even the Ensemble Moderne, the orchestra. The orchestra was here performing original Jeez. works from all over Africa. Amazing. And you launched an EP. So I, I had an EP uh, which was in the works. It was a track that I'd been kind of like really been somewhat pernickety about but anyway um i kind of saw this festival on the horizon so i kind of planned ahead um this this track it mashes up kind of south african jive influences um with math rock which is an area i've been specializing in and slams the two together and is always something i find interesting as a composer like putting two things that shouldn't work and see how does how, what can we do? How with that? might they work? Yeah. yeah, and I was fortunate. I have a trio um, with John O'Sweetman, who's a drummer based here in Cape Town. Um, the great Carlo Monbelli he and I've been working together for years now. So this trio um, had already had an album out, and then on this single we were joined by Marcus White on trumpet. And then uh, I'm a complete fanboy for this uh, Slovak guitarist. His name's David Collar. He's a composer and and guitarist. Does kind of ambient experimental work. And I approached him, and he's playing on that as well. So. Really, it was a great track. So it just kind of coincided the concert we had on the Thursday. We released the EP on the Wednesday, and it made sense. And then also we premiered a new work at the performance on the Thursday in Johannesburg. 
Congratulations. I mean, a lot of hard work, clearly. Uh, yeah, busy. What is the name of the EP, just in case any listener wants oh, to try and right, find it? Oh, right, right. Yeah, well, so Brave Yourself for Some Math Rock. Um, the EP is called Bree Street. Uh, came out um, on, I think, what, Wednesday the 30th of November. It's part of a continuation of an album we released uh, last year. We, um, the album is called Inhale. Mm-hmm. And that was released in Liverpool on the 2nd of December in 2022. At the Yoko Ono Centre? At the Yoko Ono Lennon Centre, no less. Yes, and Carlo and Jono uh, were brought across. There's a composers group at the University of Liverpool where I work called ICAT, and they brought Carlo and Jono across. We did a concert of Carlo's music. They did some great workshops, and we gave that performance. So, yeah. Well done. Good. Well, listeners might be wondering, you've, you've already thrown some <laughs> musical terms around, which <laughs> classical music listeners might be going, huh? Um, yeah. So uh, let, let's talk about The Reluctant Bride. Sure. Uh, the Reluctant Bride, interesting story behind this track. Um, it's by the composer and guitarist Ralph Towner. Ralph Towner is part of the ECM staple. of. That's performers. a record label, by the way. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah ECM in, in, in Germany. That's interesting or it's been a big part of my life because ECM is part of what's kind of defined in... I suppose musicology as third stream music and third stream music comes from Miles Davis um, he did that album uh, The Birth of the Cool and with Gunter Schuller did all those arrangements in the 60s and from that you had this kind of enmeshing of um, classical music and improvisational music this crossover but the ECM staple has a very significant or specific sound and uh, which was obviously appealing to me as somebody who started in classical so actually I heard Ralph Tana and from there in 1997 I wanted to learn to improvise and it was that that I chased. But then the only person who could help me was more traditional standards improvisation. So this is great. Uh, it's from an album of mine called, uh, it's part of a series called Sonomorph, which means just sounds that are changing. That's the moniker. And this is the fourth one from that. The album is called Prayers and Laments, and the track is called The Reluctant Bride.
Ralph Towner's The Reluctant Bride here on Fine Music Radio, played by my guest on People of Note today, uh, Jonathan Crossley. Ralph Towner's still around. He is, yes. He's still touring. Um, but getting on in years. Yeah, he's struggling, I think. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I've never seen him live, which is a, awful. It's a bucket list thing, but um, I've got a duet with another um, guitarist um, up in Lancashire. And he studied with him. He said Ralph was just so generous when he met him. He just hung out with him for days. Couldn't be helpful. So a wonderful person. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about you because, as you mentioned earlier, you started in strictly the classical kind of... In fact, I have a memory, and (laughs) correct me if I'm right, that you played... Rodrigo's Concierto de Aranjuez with the Joburg Philharmonic Orchestra? That would be James, but... Uh, that, <laughs> no, James, you? James, I've never done the run with. James I, 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 have you never? But James, okay. Grace, and I did the Concerto Madrigal, which is Rodrigo's... Yes, yes. is the other yeah, one. That that's would, the one we did. I, I play that quite often here at yeah. Fine Music. Yeah, that was fabulous gr- work. Yeah, it was a great experience. It's one of my cherished memories. So you started in that area. You, you weren't experimenting and playing around. Mm, I was Were kind of, Well, you know, I mean... So I, I studied, uh, did my undergraduate at Wits, so it's a four-year kind of degree there with a final recital. And I went across uh, to the UK. Actually, I went across in 95 to go to Spain to go study, and I did a trip to the UK. And I, I went to the London Guitar Centre, and this is when the nonsense started. If you want to look at. <laughs> but I went to the London Guitar Centre, and I pulled out this work um, from the score section, and it was by a Czech guitarist, Stefan Rock. Right, and it was called Voces de Profundis, and it was based upon the film Psycho. It was the first time I'd ever seen a graphic score. You know, I was just, what is this? What is this? And it took me like two years to learn how to play it. He does, uh, you know, the famous Psycho. The yes, thing. absolutely. So That's what he did is he, he Bernard Herrmann's music. Yes, but mm. he, he Rock took that idea and he he wrote a section where you played the bass notes, which was the melody, with the left hand, and then you held a teaspoon with your thumb in the teaspoon and then drag a teaspoon across the treble strings and it gives you that sound of the strings falling. And so I was like, this is amazing. So for my final recital at the university, we then decided, okay, let's cut bits of the shower scene up from the film and <laughs> screen that on the screen. So I, you know, already at undergraduate level, it was like, okay, the interesting multimedia things and exploration. But well, yeah, of course, they were, they were possible. They were, they were starting to become possible. They've become much easier since then. I mean, you've got a computer in front of you that can do the most amazing things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. But, of course, we, we're talking uh, three or four decades ago. Yeah. So things were beginning to become possible, multimedia kind of presentations and, and, and ideas. Yes, and, but, uh, but I do think, you know, it's, it's interesting about South Africa. You know, there was, kind of, it, there was a kind of resistance to that a little bit. You know, I probably would have gotten more recitals if I'd gone down the traditional path or stayed stayed in the lane but it, it wasn't rebellious in any way for me it was just like I really want to know how to do this how do you do that how, how do we do this or is this possible is this allowed mm. and what happens when you mix things up you know I, it's just something in me that always wanted to do that now one of the albums that I remember you launching at one of our old classic FM soirees at the Santon Sun yes was my friends and I yes um, and you did a video of that. I think you released a DVD of that yes. particular performance. Yes. And already there, you, you, you were taking almost traditional tunes like A Nightingale Sang in Barclay Square, but you were playing with it with your fellow musicians. You were pushing boundaries already. Yeah, that, and that was, I mean, like, I, I wasn't, um, was not a composer at all back then. You know, I, I wrote some tunes on the record, but I was not compared to now. But but at that point, I appointed Carlo. I asked Carlo to do the arrangement. So I had this idea to have a, an octet of um, wind and brass 
which was hearkening back to that album I mentioned earlier, the the birth of the cool with Miles Davis, you know. And we did that. And then I asked Carlo to write the voices because Carlo's got a kind of an unusual harmonic sense. It had an edge to it. And so, um, yeah, already that record, we were trying to fish in for that ECM thing. Ah. Yeah. Who was it that changed things for you? Glenn Gould is a name that is big in Crossley's mind. Tell me why. Yeah, there's a few names. I mean, Gould, I mean, Carlos come up already a bunch yeah. of times. And obviously the late Johnny Faree was a big influence. But Gould was always there. And I, I remember hearing Gould uh, for the first time at university from the late Mary Rurich. I yes, Dr. Mary Rurich. Yeah, yeah, it was at her house. Um, I heard a lot of things at her house. It was really interesting. But but um, and then and my wife and I then discovered this film, Thirty Two Short Films, by Glenn Gould, which is amazing. And then I discovered his writings. His writings are all over my PhD research as well, which is interesting because that's in electronic music. Okay. But um, Gould, people love or hate Gould. Yeah, but, there's no in between. There's there? no in between. <laughs> but I always I was always fascinated by Gould because it's almost like when you listen to him, he hears something that's not there, you know. And so sometimes you listen carefully in the old recordings, you'll hear him playing Bach, and he's mumbling and singing. But he's not singing anything that's on the score. He's singing another part that's in his head. Anyway, th- this particular piece, it's a sonata in B minor to Strauss, um, Ricard Strauss, and Opus 5 Adagio. It's got two sections, an A and a B section. The A section, the time, uh, the way he handles the melody is just completely uh, exquisite. I've had students just sit and cry when you play this to them because there's something magical about it. And then he transitions to that typical dry gould. So it's very pedaled in the front part and then in the B section it's extremely dry not unlike what he does with Bach
It's Fine Music Radio, and that, of course, was Glenn Gould, beautifully introduced by my guest today, <laughs> Jonathan Crossley. That is a piece that I think you now tell all of your students mm. that they really should listen to it. Yeah, it's interesting. If you study music, right, you learn certain pieces, or if you're going to be a composer, you learn two-part counterpoint, and then, you know, blah, 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 functional harmony, etc., etc. But there are some things that are intangible. You know, we keep mentioning Carlo, but Carlo always says you can't teach composition. I don't agree with that. Right. He's saying that there are things that are intangible that you can't communicate. And, and one of those things for me, if you're teaching someone to perform or to, I don't know, improvise or, is you can't teach space. You know, there's just something about the great players, Ralph Towner being one we've mentioned already, like how they handle space inside a phrase. And that piece, the front part of it, I'm sure the listeners will have listened now, but, and heard it like that piece the sense of space is completely intangible it's like time stops for a moment you know everything just stops and that's magical okay how did you get into this lecturing thing i know you as a musician mm-hmm. um and obviously you've done your academic studies but what's led you towards the lecturing uh, that's another interesting journey i mean you know, so, so vitz university music department is where i start well i taught it at tut and at tucky's first just as a part-time lecture but Vitz, were you teaching guitar? I kind of taught everything, you know. <laughs> but at Vitz, they were they were trying to. They'd been through a bit of a, a tough period in the early two thousands, and then they were trying to uh, get the department going again. And uh, initially, um, Prof. Jeannie Zadel Rudolph approached me, and she asked me to come on to teach something in the digital department. Another great prof, also in, in digital arts, so Prof. Christo Doherty, not in music. The two of them together wanted to do something. So I came on board and did some work uh, in teaching um, on audio production. And that went well in the first year, 2003. Then the second year, they said, can you do it again? And then I said, yes, but we need to make changes to the curriculum. And, and so from there, it kind of just fell into that. And then from the, you know, the mid-2000s, uh, Grant, Dr. Grant Alwaj was head there, and we, we built the department up. And, and then it just happened that I was working mostly in digital, but doing some guitar teaching on jazz and classical side, and then got really interested in the digital thing, and then wound up registering about 2010 for a PhD in that area. So kind of the academic thing and the research thing kind of tracked together somehow. Okay. And you are Dr. Jonathan Crossley now, officially. Yeah, but heaven help you if you're ill. So. <laughs> 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 I can tell you where to plug in a jack cable, but that's about as helpful as I'll be, yeah. <laughs> but now you're lecturing in Liverpool. Yeah, so it's so super interesting. I mean, so the, the, the PhD research was like, came out of the classical because, you know, on the classical guitar, you can do things with the right hand. The, the finesse and nuance of the guitar is just beyond compare. And I was always, I've been playing a lot of electric guitar and touring uh, my own group in Europe, uh, kind of a funk fusion group, but just getting very frustrated with the limitations of the electric sound, okay. um, trying to finesse effects while I was playing with the left hand. So finessing things with the right hand. So the PhD research, we built this mechanical exoskeleton you climb into um, that I could move my shoulders and stuff and change parameters on the guitar. So we did that in 2014. So that led to a kind of specialised... That stuff's online if you want to go look. But um, that led to a specialisation in kind of digital experimental stuff and improvisation and graphic notation. And so when I got the position which I've got now at the University of Liverpool, it was such an interesting interview because the, the job description was really me, someone who has an interest across genres of popular and classical music, who has an interest in non-conventional notation styles, who's interested in electronic music and improv. I was like, oh... I showed it to my wife. I said, "Look, that's." She said, "Yes, that's you." And I'm like, Great, <laughs> okay. and, and it's really competitive the market. So I was yeah. very, very surprised and happy when I got it. But even more surprised at Liverpool when I got there. First of all, they gave me six months of 
not teaching before I sort of had to start teaching. I couldn't understand why that was until I asked them. I said, well, wh- what, do you, what do you want me to teach? And they said, well, what do you want to teach? I've never had that before. So, <laughs> so we developed these new courses, like which are in that location. So this, the one is um, live improvisation with Ableton. Ableton's a software system that I use a lot. Right. So it's like improvisation based on the. I don't know if you know the British composer Cornelius Cardew from the '60s, influential British experimental music. He was at Royal Academy teaching there. Came from Stockhausen, then uh-huh. rejected Stockhausen, then wrote a work called Stockhausen Serves Imperialism. <laughs> Very famous and interesting work to read. But yes. he did. anyway, so so the course is located in that. The one, and then this, the, my third year specialist module, which is currently underway, um, is called From Hardware Hacking to Hyper Instruments. Hardware hacking to hyper instruments. So hardware hacking is where you take uh, bits of electronic kit and repurpose them. So students will rock up with um, random radios and kid toys, and then we open them up, DC equipment, obviously. We open them up, and then we rewire them and extract from them interesting sounds, and then they write compositions for those. And then the hyper instrument side of it is uh, hyper instruments or extended instruments. If the listeners want to go and check that out, there's a great place to start as a trumpeter currently touring called Ben Neal, American trumpeter. So he has a hyper trumpet, which has got two bells. And oh. it's, got, it's got digital controls on it uh, yes. where he can modify the sound while he plays. He's got a screen that goes over his eye, which tracks his iris, and he can modify the sounds. So like radical ideas like that. So the, the sure. students get to conceive of and dream of any instrument or idea that they want. So this is what we do at Liverpool, yeah. But a long line from bits through, you know. Yes. It makes sense if you join the dots. And are you enjoying the lecturing and yeah. do you think you've got better at it and <laughs> um, one can always improve you know yeah i've sure. just done some more courses and uh, qualification and um, one can always get better but what has opened your mind is to make your lecturing better do you think i think the hardware hacking you know that comes from the phd and, and the the chance at liverpool to really specialize in that and then i had a position in between uh, liverpool and when i left wits um where they got me to teach on critical theory which was a lot more philosophy, uh, economics, I got really involved in that. So that has really helped me to convey messages a bit better. So having to, often in music, you know, lecturers can be just practice-based, like composers or performers, and then you get the musicologists. And uh, I've wound up floating between the two now, which I find really, really useful and I wish we did more of, getting the, the practice-based people to do musicology and getting the musicologists to do practice-based stuff. It, I think it makes for better teaching. Wow. Yeah. My guest is Jonathan Crossley, um, mm. who is, of course, renowned in this country for his guitar playing and also the experimental stuff that <laughs> we've been talking about. But now let's go to a guy who you, because you're now in the UK, you have the opportunity to see uh, many of the great artists whose fees, of course, are just simply too high for us to bring them sure. in the rand exchange rate to, to South Africa. Right. One of them is this Icelandic pianist who's been shooting the lights out yep. of, of late. Uh, Vikingur Olofsson. Yeah, Vikingur Olofsson, uh, Icelandic pianist. I mean, there's so much great stuff coming out of Iceland at the moment. As far as I understand, it's got something to do with Bjork. She plowed money into education there. So you have, like, you know, Vikingur, you have Oliver Arnold, whose music is exquisitely beautiful as well. Um, but also, I think it's something to do with the Deutsche Grammophon catalogue, because a few years ago they made some interesting strategic changes. And I found, I came across Vikingur not through Vikingur. Um, there's a, a warp catalogue artist called uh, Clark who does the most really interesting work with um, uh, electronic, it's EDM, IDM, but he also works with pitch and he plays a bit of cello. So it kind of crossovers. So he did this album, exquisitely beautiful, called Playground on a Lake with the Bulgarian Symphony Orchestra. It's a double record on Deutsche Grammophon as well. Fell in love with that, started applying through the catalogue of, of Deutsche Grammophon, came across uh, Wittenger's Bach reworks where he does some electronic treatments of Bach. Um, 
this whole Reworks idea, I don't know if people are familiar with that, came from the Decca, there was a Decca record mm-hmm. called Reworks about 10 years ago. Really good. And anyway, and then I, I stumbled on Wittinger's Rameau album. So this Rameau is, is amazing. It's, it's great. Um, his articulation reminds me a little bit of, of a dry Gould in a non-Gouldian way, if that makes any sense, but you'll hear. And then a couple, yeah, two weeks ago, I was lucky to see him. He's busy touring his newest release. He did a recording of the, of the Goldberg Variations. And I happened to see it at the Liverpool Philharmonic Hall. And it was amazing. He walked out. Uh, he sat down. Somebody's phone went off. And he looked very frustrated for a moment. Then recomposed himself. Played it 70 minutes or whatever. Back to back without. He was, he was um, fluttering the, the sustain pedal the whole time, which was amazing for the entire 70 minutes. And then stood up, everyone went bananas, and he came out and he said, I'm so sorry, you are not going to get an encore, that was just too intense, but you can come see me next year, and walked off. (laughs) 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 But I guess here he is playing remote. So that is the amazing pianist from Iceland, Vikingur Olafsson. And um, my guest, Jonathan Crossley, here on Fine Music Radio on People of Note with me, Mike Mills, um, able to see him live. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, the, the one nice thing that you have had going to the UK is that you're able to see some of these, these artists that we just 
can't afford to see, as I mentioned earlier here in South Africa. Are there any other big names that you've managed to catch in performance? Oh uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's been been wonderful to be there, and I, I think just a pivotal time. You know, we talked about that Deutsche Grammophon thing, but you know, the one thing that, that's really interesting that's happening in or has happened in the last ten years, especially particularly in England. Um, is this like blurring of the boundaries? You know, you know, you know. As a musician, you had to stay in your box. If you were a jazz musician, you stayed you, as a don't jazz be musician. naughty. Stay as a jazz musician. Yes. You know, classical. And I've never been good at that. And so this has been a wonderful time. And there's some incredible artists. Um, and I don't know if you know the composer Anna Meredith. She won the Mercury Award in 2019 for this album. And she's also written for Scottish National Ballet. She, like Max Richter, did a version of the Vivaldi Four Seasons. Her one is really eccentric and beautiful. And I got into that. And then she's written for the BBC proms and mass choir and she's my age she's a younger generation of composers she has her own kind of band that's famous across the country and we got to see them with the london contemporary orchestra i took the boys my kids down to see them anyway <laughs> and she has this band doing like kind of techno music almost but the band is her on clarinet and keyboard running ableton and singing she has a cellist who sings electric guitarist who basically only finger taps like a rock guy uh, a drummer who's amazing drummer but he's also the principal percussionist with the london uh, london contemporary orchestra and all the bass lines are played on tuba <laughs> dance. really it was fabulous it was a fabulous concert and she, she had a, a roller disco before the concert so everyone can go roller. <laughs> that's in the barbican center you know so so there are you know kind of really wacky and unusual things you know and um so you have this situation where people are doing different stuff and one of those um is this classical guitarist who's kind of the big classical guitarist in, in the UK at the moment. Um, younger guy, his name is Sean Shebe. Uh, he went to uh, the Edinburgh Conservatory when he was 15 only. Um, his classical magazines, the gramophone magazine, rate his Bach as the greatest Bach ever. But I didn't discover him doing that. I discovered him during lockdown because I was sitting like watching stuff and I went to the Barbican site and he had this um, work that he did on a lockdown. It was right in the middle of the time wearing masks. And the composer had written, I think, a seven or nine part string section, but they couldn't have concerts. So this composer had cassette players, old school, like flat cassette players. And Sean came on stage and walked around and they timed the cassette. So he played, hit play, and he was watching it on a stopwatch. Obviously, there was a lead time on each of the cassettes. And so the string section played off these cassette players and he sat in the middle and played the electric guitar part. And I was like, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> And then I discovered another thing backstage at the barbecue with him just playing this crazy like noise guitar, <laughs> like noise thing. What is that? And then I discovered him playing Bach. So, so he's one of those guys that's breaking all the molds, you know, like you don't know what he's going to do next and doesn't seem to matter anymore. Now, that's an important thing that seems to be happening in, in music. There are genres that even I've never heard of before that are popping up uh, all over the place. But those mm. old rigid boundaries between classical and any other genre pop rock jazz uh whatever it might they seem to be dropping and and being smashed left right and center especially by younger people they may not be leaving classical or jazz or the other the original um, compartments that they were in yeah. altogether but they're they're blending they're mashing things together in a way that just simply hasn't been done before yeah, I, th I mean, I think there's many reasons or many ways one could could explain that for listeners. I mean, there's an amazing site called um, an AI-driven site which you can go look at called Every Noise at Once. Um, <laughs> and Every Noise at Once is a is an AI that was developed about ten years ago that trawls um, Spotify algorithmic data and identification of genres and sh shows you the hyperfragmentation. Then you can click on a genre which is like they've got bizarre names and it'll give you five tracks um, to go and listen to. So you can get into that. So the level of hyperfragmentation identification is wild, but the kind of human need to 
create those types of identifications comes from an earlier period. So in the late modernism um, in popular music, you had subcultural movements like the goths and the punks and the blah, blah, blah. You know, and the classicals had to stay in the corner and, you know, all this stuff. Um, but it's devolved now in the internet era into such a level of hyperfragmentation that, the, first of all, musical identification doesn't really have the same meaning. That's one thing that's happening. But the second thing is then, you know, in, in our field of serious music or practitioners or whatever, it's now allowed to just flip between. And so it's like whatever the piece demands. So you have things where um, I went to Sean Sheba's most recent uh, concert uh, called Rosewood, which was with the Manchester Collective. And there was a string quartet from the Manchester Collective that had commissioned works from all over the world. So in that one concert, they did some John Cage works. Um, they did a, a bunch of pop composers who'd written stuff and then a, a post-minimalist electronic work as well. So it doesn't really matter anymore. What's more important seemingly is the music as opposed to what the performer does. There's kind of an equal footing now so you're not no longer like a beethoven specialist or whatever yes let's make some new music so it's wonderful period because there's so much new stuff happening and of course one should remember that those great composers your mozarts beethovens they all improvised and jammed themselves yeah they were back the, then they were, the they pop were breaking stars. boundaries they were the pop stars of the day so know? actually it's nothing new no there was something about the you know subcultural you know subcultural obviously people think of like punk or whatever but the drive towards subcultural definition and boundary making was kind of a, a late modernist post-war thing mm -hmm. in you know in western culture and that's kind of gone it's now in a post-modern era where hyperfragmentation is the order of the day so you can do what you want you basically can. as you long can. as you play it well you can i mean like that anna meredith gig i was talking about or the performance um, it was so amazing. I had my, my boys there. They were like, you know, 12 and 13 at the time. And my wife was with me. We're in our late 40s. And, and next to me, there was this really old people in their 80s. And next to that, there was a bunch of high school kids. It's like, there's no rules anymore. The audience is fragmented as well, which is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It is Fine Music Radio that you're listening to. People of Note with Mike Mills here for uh, Rodney Trudgeon. My guest is Jonathan Crossley. I remember seeing Pendulum Phase. Have you ever seen that live? No. <laughs> oh, Pendulum Phase is wonderful. It's, um, it's a number of speakers that sit on the floor facing upwards. And then the microphone cables are connected to the roof and the performers let go of these kind of dynamic microphones and as they swing through the swing past the speakers yeah it creates a little feedback note you know like you stick a microphone in front of a live speaker yeah and then as the gravity behaves its way out you get all these beautiful cross rhythms and polyrhythms as just gravity does its thing and the speakers eventually then the microphones eventually <laughs> hang in front of the speaker and you get a single tone and that's the end of the piece just so clever and you know and then writing from that right to orchestral works and what we just heard, which is a pretty complicated mm. multi-part electronic, uh, electric guitar phase-based mm. piece. Yes. So how many guitars do you have and what kind of guitars? Are they acoustic, electric, ah. got extra long, you know, extended thingy-me-bobs? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I'm going to qualify this. Uh, I, I'm not a collector. Um, okay. If I was given half a chance, I would be. But my dear wife is like, you must have a reason to have the things you have, you know, because it can get messy otherwise. Like yes. My brother-in-law is a collector and it's a disaster. But anyway, <laughs> so each of the guitars that I've got does a very specific thing, right? So I have, I have a really beautiful steel string acoustic guitar, um, which I've used on an album I actually did for my wife called Deep and Wide. You can find it on Spotify right. or any other streaming service that doesn't pay musicians. And uh, <laughs> on that, I, I bought that guitar for that album. Um, it's a Larave, a lovely, called a Parlor Acoustic. On that same album, I use a Dobro, which is like an acoustic guitar with a steel inner in part, which is kind of a country sound. Yeah. 
Um, then I w- we managed James Grace had a, a Jeff Kemp the guitars that he plays a lot of mm-hmm. Australian maker I, I I bought his older one so I'm extremely happy with that I, I can't believe I've got that instrument it's, really it's, yeah it goes, it's got up in value it's classical guitars gone up wow and I saw them in London Guitar Studio and now it's like um, what was it it's like a hundred thousand rand or one hundred and fifty thousand rand it's, it's like twenty years old so that's amazing for a guitar beautiful classical guitar but then my main guitar that I use is um, uh, re- only recently got it a year and a half ago and that's the one I played here in South Africa it's by a um, maker called Rob O'Reilly from uh, Killarney in Ireland and he solved the thing that guitar makers have been trying to solve for years which is MIDI conversion what's that? so when you play an electronic keyboard um, you, you tap the keyboard note it's immediate that sound mm-hmm. it uses a thing called MIDI which is musical instrument digital interface it was okay. a system developed by Opcode in the 1983 Opcode and Urcam in Paris and it's a worldwide standard so that all synthesizers and instruments can communicate all software uses this as well uh, MIDI conversion on guitar they used to try and uh, use the waveform of the string and then convert that so you have this thing called latency latency things happen late Right. so it was really useless so you couldn't play a string part on an electric guitar or an acoustic guitar. He solved that because under the neck, the frets are actually connected to a circuit. So underneath the fretboard, there's lots of wires. In the back of this guitar, there's a computer. The computer converts the information to MIDI information straight away. So I can play piano, synthesizers. I can control my computer. Um, Anyway, the guitar has that part of it. It has a great electric sound. It's got an acoustic pickup sound. It's got an XY pad on the back, which looks like an iPad. Okay. Uh, I can control the yes. that. It transmits information over Bluetooth. It's got a joystick. It's got <laughs> pressure pads. Anyway, very, very radical guitar and wonderful. Um, and I'm fortunate to get one. He's, um, he's backed up for years now. He exploded on the internet about two years ago, and I got my nose in quickly. So Rob O'Reilly. Okay. Hideously expensive. I, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking, was it one of your albums? Um, or somebody's album that said, the machines will talk back to you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was part of the PhD thing, I think I mentioned a bit earlier. Yes. Yeah, that was... The, 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 this was one of yours. So yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking the machines are almost are talking back to you now. Yeah, 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 completely. <laughs> I mean, it's integrated now. I mean, you know, each of those kind of albums you can find, you know, if listeners explore my catalogue on streaming services, it'll be very confusing. But hang on, you know, just <laughs> go to have, have a fish. You know, there's everything from experimental African music in there to classical stuff to conceptual albums like the machines talking back to you and that was where um, we were playing live and we have uh, monitors you know in a live sense you can hear yourself but we gave the control of the monitors over to the machine and the machine then modified what everyone heard of themselves and of the others so it was an interesting experiment but it turned out to be a great gig (laughs) so so yeah playing with technology in those kind of creative ways in a sense aesthetically and ideologically coming from John Cage you know it's, it's a Cagean principle from Things like, you know, his tape music and his record music and water music, those period. So coming from that, just exploring that into kind of software. But every now and again, do you still just pick up an acoustic guitar <laughs> and pluck? Yes, of course. Yes. Okay, yes. You haven't thrown that away? No. I mean, that's album we played a little bit from earlier, Praise and Laments. It's, it's a classical album. It was my, it was quite intentional in 2021. I'd done all this electronic stuff. And I thought, I really want to make something just purely classical. And then I added loops and things. Well, of course, spot, so, yes, yeah. but there is a strong classical and and sort of call it acoustic because it is electric, uh, yeah. kind of feel to it. But let's finish our yeah. chat with an, another track from your Sonomorph album, the Laments album, with, with the title track Lament. Yeah, and um, this is um, inspired by another one of those Icelandic artists, um, Oliver Arnolds. Um, 
Olafur Arnold's, I saw him blending. This concert he gave in Sydney was the first time I watched where he blends string quartet and electronics. And and I mean, his music's very, very simple in one sense, but just exquisitely beautiful. And the time is great, like Gould. Oliver Arnold's time is beautiful. So there's like, there's, you can start to see Join the Dots here. But anyway, so he, he did a thing where he, he got the audience in the Sydney Opera House to sing notes and he put those into an iPad and played them. Those became the string session stuff. Anyway, so this piece is definitely inspired by Arnold's. It's got the kind of lute-based texture and layering. Um, it starts off with a thing that I actually wrote for James Grace and I. It's a duet piece. I just played both the parts in myself. Uh, and then it kind of hangs around and one of those ideas and loops and builds across some synthesizers.
Fine Music Radio with Lament by Jonathan Crossley. Uh, well, not by him, but played by him. Oh, no, that is by me. That's my composition. That is your own composition? Yes. Okay. Sure. Apologies. No problem. Right. <laughs> um, it has been so good to see you. I, I, you know, I haven't seen you for years, and I have fond memories of our times together with your, your, your lovely wife, Eliska, used to work at Classic FM in Joburg, as I did. Mm. Um, and I, I just wish you would be able to visit South Africa a little more often. But I guess uh, you're busy lecturing, and and your time is is kind of tight. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think I'd be back for a long time. But in January, we were here with the um, concert SA, the Royal Norwegian Embassy thing, mm-hmm. and then that concert finished in January. I said to the guys, "Right, well, I'll see you." Don't know when again, and here I am again. Yeah, you are so, again. With so it's you know it's great to come back and perform. Um, I love working with the musicians here. They're, everyone's just so warm and special, you know. And so it's great to come back to that. Yeah. Jonathan Crossley, thank you. Thank you, Mike. If-